Tonight we're talking about clutch. Talking about clutch because, after all, uh, it is March, and you guys know what happens in March, right? Yeah, pollen goes crazy in March. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. Yeah, and also March Madness. It, it's pollen and it's March Madness, and both of those disagree with my body. Uh, my body was not made for pollen and not made uh, for basketball either. Some of you know this, that I am really terrible at basketball. Uh, I got an amen from that. Thank you. That makes me feel good. For those of you that don't know, let me catch up to speed. Uh, I play basketball like a girl, okay? And, well, hold on. Hold on. Before you get offended, I'm not talking about WNBA girls. I'm talking about, like, three-year-old girls, okay? So you take your three-year-old cousin, and then you put her up against me, and I don't know who's going to win, okay? Uh, so that's how bad I am at basketball. But even though even though I'm really bad at basketball, um, there's, there's parts of the game that I actually appreciate. Because basketball, whether you know this or not, basketball is a game of seconds, right? Like, things can change in an instant. If you're not careful, like there have been so many games where like one team is up the entire time and then the last couple seconds, all of a sudden the game turns around and the team that was losing the whole time comes out to be the victor. It's these moments of clutch, like the moments when all the pressure is on and everyone's watching and like the stakes are high and it matters most. And it's moments like that that define basketball games. In fact, I actually, uh, I found a clip, and uh, it's a clip that kind of illustrates this, this game of seconds that can happen, and it's the last 10 seconds of the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, versus the, uh, 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 I have to check my notes because I don't follow basketball, um, versus the uh, Warriors, Golden State Warriors. You guys know Golden State Warriors? Yeah. Yeah, me too, right? Uh, okay, so it's the last 10 seconds of this game, and uh, I want you to check out what happens. Check it out. 10 seconds. That's right. It's a one-point game, right? They were down by two, and then with 10 seconds to go, with all the pressure on, right, everyone's eyes watching him. The stakes are high. It matters most in this moment, and then he sinks a three. It's unbelievable. I mean, we love clips like this, right? We love clips because of, like, the intensity of how things can change in a second. That's why, that's why I love this clip. I also love this clip uh, because it's not over, it's not over. I don't know if you caught it. There were 2.3 seconds left in the game. And so for many of you, you're like, well, then the game's over. Uh-uh, not so fast. Check out the full 10 seconds. 10 seconds. He's not too happy about that, right? They thought that they won because after all, man, they were, you know, they were, they were down and then they got up. They got the three points and the game's over. But in just a few seconds, when all the pressure was on, everyone's eyes was on him. He makes the shot, makes the shot. And, 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 and I'm telling you, we love games like this because, because what it does is it kind of reveals this question that happens for the guy in the clip and it also happens for us as well. And this is the question. The question is, what do you do when the pressure's on you? Right? What do you do when the pressure's 
on you. Because in the game of basketball, there's really only two options. I mean, basketball is a game of seconds. And when all the pressure is on you, there's two options of what can happen. One, you could come through in the clutch. Or number two, you could choke under pressure. Right? Those are the two options of what can happen. It's is either when everyone's eyes are on you and everyone's focused on you and you feel all the pressure and your whole team is depending on you and, and, you know, and the clock is counting down. What do you do when the pressure's on you? And so this is kind of the definition that I want to give for clutch since after all the whole name of this series is clutch. This is the definition we're going to be working with. Clutch is coming through when the pressure is on you. Clutch is coming through when the pressure is on you. Right? When, all, when all the people are watching, when the time is counting down, when the stakes are high, when the pressure is high, and everyone is watching to see what you'll do, clutch is the thing that comes through when all of the pressure is on you. And I'm telling you, we, like as a culture, we are obsessed with clutch, right? Like that's why these last minute, like game winning shots, these half court shots with just a few seconds left, they become immediate overnight YouTube sensations because we absolutely love, love, love watching people come through under pressure. And I think this is what happens. I think because the stakes are so high. I mean, when the pressure's on, the stakes are so high. And you know that when you actually come through in the clutch, like there's no better feeling. Right? Like you feel on top of the world. Your whole team depended on you and you actually made it. But when the pressure's on you, if you choke under pressure, then there's no worse feeling. Right? You're devastated. And because, because pressure can do this to us, I think that we have a tendency to, um, to kind of minimalize what it means to actually be clutch. In fact, I think if you, know, if you were to be honest, a lot of times when you watch someone and they do something unbelievable and they come through and all the pressure is on you, right, and they're able to do this, I think what ends up happening is we blame it on two things. See, we think, we think clutch is luck or talent, right? Clutch is just luck or talent. I mean, this is the reason, this is the reason, like, like when you see something unbelievable happen, this, this, this amazing shot from half court, this, this like three-pointer with just a few seconds left, a lot of times you watch that and you look over at your buddy and you're like, well, I mean, he couldn't do that again, right? I mean, he just, he just got really lucky, right? I, it just must have been his day. After all, the guy in front of him fell, and so, you know, he just, he got really lucky. Or, or we have a tendency to look at people that come through in the clutch, and we think, well, I mean, I mean they're born with it right? They've just got this talent and it's natural. And you know, some people got it and some people don't. And so obviously the reason they were able to come through in the clutch is, well, it's because they, they just have that talent. They were just, they were just born with it. And so we think to be clutch means you got to either luck into it or you're born into it. But those are the only two options. But is that really true? I mean, is that, is that really what it takes to be clutch? Is, 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 it, is it really luck? Is luck all it is to come through when the pressure's on you? Or, or, or is talent, is it just that you're born with it or you're not born with it? See, I think if we were to be honest with one another, like if we were to actually take a look at this, we know it's not either of those things. In fact, when you look at all the people that have come through in the clutch and you boil it down, there is one common denominator <laughs> and it's not luck and it's not talent. The common denominator is hard work. Boo, right? No one likes that. Well, that's no fun. Come on, Steve, can we talk about something else? I don't want to talk about hard work. That's lame, right? But all of your coaches know that this is true. 
All of your coaches know that we naturally tend to think that people that are clutch, they just got a bunch of luck or they just got a bunch of talent. And so your coaches are constantly reminding you like, no, 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 it's not luck. It's not talent. It's hard work. It's hard work. You know, you got to have discipline. You got to be committed. And they got all these, all these things. In fact, this is like a, this is a phrase that maybe you've seen before um, having to do with this. Uh, and, And coaches say this all the time. They say this, they say hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You seen that before? right? Hard work beats talent when talent does, I, you know, I mean, you can imagine, like, I got my whistle, right? And, like, everyone's gathered. I mean, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, you know? And, like, the coach is getting in your face, and then you got it on, like, the back of your cross-country shirt, right? Hard work beats talent. And then they got it, like, plastered on, like, the wall, and it's like, hey, hard work beats talent. Because they want to keep reminding you over and over again that I know you tend to think that people come through in the clutch when all the pressure's on them. I know you tend to think it's luck. I know you tend to think people are just born with it. They just got talent. But over and over again, they're reminding you, look, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's discipline. It's training. And see, see, being clutch and coming through when the pressure's on you isn't, isn't just about basketball. It's not just about lacrosse or cross country or football. See, this happens in life too. I mean, I mean there's pressure that's on you daily. And there are moments where you know you need to come through in the clutch. And so the question I want to go after tonight is this. In life, in life, how do you come through when the pressure's on you? In life, not on the basketball court, not on the football, but in life, how do you come through when the pressure's on you? Because you guys know pressure, right? I mean, you got, you got pressure at home. <laughs> the pressure of like, you know, your parents, and it seems like no matter what you do, it's like you guys are always, always fighting and you're yelling at them or they're yelling at you or like you just feel it's so unfair. And there's all this pressure and they want you to be someone that maybe you don't want to be and you feel that pressure and I, I got to have the part-time job and I got to make sure I do this and you feel pressure and you're like, how do I come through when the pressure is on you? Or maybe like, maybe it's your friends and they're making decisions that you know you don't need to make. But I mean, they're your friends and you want to hang out with them. And so you're feeling all this pressure. And so how do you come through when the pressure, the peer pressure is on you? Or maybe, maybe it's with like your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And they're pressuring you to do something that you know you shouldn't do, but you kind of want to do it. And so you're just like not really sure what to do. How do you come through when the pressure is on you? Because in the same way, the stakes are high which means if you come through in the clutch, there's no better feeling than doing the right thing when all the pressure's on you. But it also means there's nothing more devastating than when you fail, when you miss the shot, when you don't come through. And so this question is, is, is not a new question. People have been wrestling with this. How do you come through when all the pressure's on you? In fact, there's a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was writing to his good buddy, Timothy. And he knew that Timothy was wrestling with this. And that Timothy's people that he was leading, they were wrestling with this too. So we actually wrote to him about this specific topic. So I want to look at this together. So go ahead and do this. Grab your Bibles. They should be uh, like right around. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, which is on page 1,194. Page 1,194. 
Paul was writing to this group of people and they were wrestling with, man, what does it mean to actually come through in the clutch? What does it mean to come through when all the pressure is on you? In fact, a lot of people were coming up to Paul and uh, they honestly believed this and maybe, maybe you've felt this way sometimes, but they looked at Paul and they said, Paul, um, I think if I need to be close to God, like if I need to have a good life, if I need to do the things I'm supposed to do, then, then I just should have been born in a different family. See, if I was born in a better family, if I was just born into something better, then I would have a good relationship with God. Then all of a sudden everything would line up. Or maybe if I just had better luck, like better circumstances, maybe if things around me would change, then I could have a closer relationship with God. Then I could be like more near to God. And Paul addressed them and he said, no, that's not it at all. In fact, he looked at the people that were saying that you have to be like born into a certain family. And he said, look, that's, that's a myth. That's a myth that like you have to be born into a certain family to be close to God. It doesn't work that way. He even called it an old wives tale. In fact, this is what he said uh, in verse seven, first Timothy four, seven. He said, have nothing to do. He's warning Timothy. He's like, dude, you got to watch out for this. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. Specifically, I know people are going to try and convince you that like you need to be born into a better family or your circumstances need to be better or like some people are just born into it. Some people are just naturally more spiritual. Some people just naturally draw closer to God and he says, it doesn't work that way. It's not that way at all. So he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' styles. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Instead of believing that it's all based on luck, that either you're luck into it or you're born into it, he says, don't have anything to do with that. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And then he goes on, he says this. He says, for physical training is of some value. See, he was talking to people that understood like sports. They understood the Olympics. They got this. And he's saying, look, I get it, okay? You know that this is true when it comes to any physical activity. That if you want to be really good at something, you got to work at it daily, it's hard work. It's not luck and it's not talent. You got to work at it. So in the same way that all your coaches know you got to work at it, you need to translate this to your relationship with God. So he says physical training is of some value, but godliness, godliness actually has value for all things. And then he says holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And see, this is huge <laughs> because when, when there's like three seconds left in the game, and all the pressure is on you, what's at stake is a win or a loss. Or maybe, maybe what's at stake is that, you know, you, you advance to the, to the next round. But Paul is saying godliness, it's so much more valuable than that. It's so much bigger than that. See, when the pressure's on you in life, it could mean either the health or the destruction of a relationship. It could be the difference bet like between incredible reward or unbelievable regret. And both of these things hang in the balance when the pressure is on. And so physical training, it's, it's valuable, but the thing that's even more valuable is training in godliness. In other words, I think if we were to kind of put this down into like a tweetable statement, it would be like this. It would be daily training leads to godly triumph. Daily training leads to godly triumph. That daily, over and over again, spending time with the Lord is the thing that will change your life. That's the thing that will make the difference when all the pressure is on you. Now, we don't like this. <laughs> no one likes this. In fact, for many of you, I know this is true for me, but for many of you, maybe you struggle with this thing where you're like, I want to be close to God, and so I'm just waiting for my moment. 
right? I'm waiting for that one moment when everything clicks. I'm waiting for that worship service where like we hit the bridge of that song and the lights are going and it's like, oh, I feel God. That's the moment. Now I'm close to God and we wait for it and we hope that maybe, well, it didn't come this time, but maybe next time it'll come or maybe next time it'll come or maybe they'll like, there'll be like this near death experience that I have and that'll wake me up and then I'll be really close to God or maybe something will happen with my friend and then I'll be really close to God and we keep waiting for this one moment, this one circumstance to change everything for us. Or maybe some of you, you look at other people, <laughs> other people who maybe you would say are godly or other people you say have a close relationship with God. Maybe it's like one of your friends. Maybe it's one of your life group leaders. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's another pastor. And you're like, see, they, they're just more spiritual than I am. They must have just been born with it. It, it must have just be easier for them. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. See, this is true for everybody. Daily training leads to godly triumph. It's doing something day after day. If you want a closer relationship with God, it means you gotta spend time with him daily. <laughs> in fact, this is the way it works in any relationship, right? I mean, I mean, think about, think about your like best friend, right? The person that you're, that you're closest to. Did you become like best friends with them overnight? Oh my gosh, we had a sleepover and now we're best friends, right? <laughs> Usually... Usually what happens is something may have started it, but the reason that you tell them everything and the reason that you trust them is that they've earned that trust. And then over time, you started texting them, started Snapchatting them, you started having these inside jokes together. And then you find that you're close to that person. See, it never happens overnight. And yet for some reason, we think that that's the way it works with God. But rather, rather, daily training Daily training leads to godly triumph. And so for me, this is, this is what it looks like. I accepted Christ when I was um, about 12 years old. And my, uh, my student pastor um, was, man, he was awesome. And he, he told me kind of the same thing. And he said, hey, if you want to have a closer relationship with God, that means you got to like spend time with them, right? Because if you want to have a close relationship with anyone, you got you to spend time with them. And so he said, um, so what you should do is you should like read some scripture because that's what God's saying to you. And then you should pray because, you know, like with your best friend, you would talk with them. So you should talk with God. And, uh, and so I started doing that. And what I would do is I would, I would, uh, I would like read um, a verse of scripture or maybe a chapter of scripture. And then I would ask myself these two questions. I would, I would uh, you know, kind of ask God and ask myself and say, God, what? What, what do these verses say about me? Is there, you know, is there something that you're trying to tell me? And then I would ask God, um, God, what do these verses say about you? And then what I would do is I would write down the answers to that um, in a journal a lot like this. And, uh, and then not only did I write down the answers to that, but I also would write down uh, my, my, my prayers as well. Because um, I don't know how many of you have ever tried to like pray silently in your head. Has anyone ever tried that? Um, is anyone ADD like me and you get like three seconds in and then all of a sudden you're like, well, but this TV show is coming on. I remember the last time that show came on. What's my best friend doing? And then all of a sudden you're like, you're like off, right? Like you're, you're thinking about something totally different. And so I would always start so good. You know, I'd be like, okay, God, I'm going to pray to you. God, thank you for like this day. 
And dude, it was an awesome day because like, dude, she talked to me. Do you think she likes me? I think she might like, and then I'm like talking about something totally different and God's like, bro, where are you at? And, and, I'm, and I'm completely off. And so I realized I can't, I can't do that in my head. I'm too ADD. Okay, I'm too ADD. So then I thought, well, maybe what I need to do, because I, you know, I'm ADD, but I'm not super ADD, so maybe I can like talk with him out loud. But the problem is, uh, when, you know, when I was growing up, I lived with four other people, my two brothers and my parents, and that's a little weird, you know, when all the four like are like hanging out in the living room, and then Steve's upstairs in his room, and we don't know who he's talking to, but it's a little strange, right? So I was like, I can't, I can't do that. That's crazy distracting. Um, and so then I thought, well. Well, how about like, because I'm so distracted, right? I'm distracted so easily and talking out loud would be distracting to people. Um, what if I just wrote down my prayer, like as if I was texting God or writing an email to God or just kind of something like that. And so I started doing that. And, um, and I, would, I would open up scripture, I would ask those questions, I would write down the answers and then I would talk to God and tell him about uh, my day and the things I was struggling with and the things I was worried about. And then the next day, I would do it again. I would, you know, I would open up an, another chapter and I would write down the answers and then I would kind of pray uh, through, through my journal. And uh, again, in a journal, a lot like this. And the next day I, I would do it again. I would spend time with God and I would talk with him and I would listen and I would, you know, just day after day after day after day. And uh, I want to show you what that looks like. Um... What it looks like is day after day. I would write down my prayers to God and then sorry, almost done. And, uh, and this is how my relationship with God was built. Not in a day. Not in this, oh my gosh, all of a sudden, and God was real. It was, okay, well, let me uh, I'm gonna write down this, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to talk to God. And then the next day, I would I'd pray, and I would talk to God. Um, I want to I read a few of these, and you'll have to excuse my, um, it's probably going to be some like pretty, pretty bad grammar. Um, okay, this is great. This is from uh, 2001. Some of you were like, you know, starting to um, come alive. Uh, so it was December 2nd, 2001, and I put, God, you're awesome. If you ever thought, has Steve been saying awesome forever? Yes. Um, God, you're awesome. Help me never again seek selfish ambition for myself, um, which is like, duh, that's what that means. Uh, God, help me uh, not yell at my family because I'm mad at schoolwork. Um, help me not be ashamed to, like, praise you in front of other people. And then, and then I put this verse. I press on towards the prize, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. God, it's all about you. So would you fill me day by day to be stronger and, um, like, more filled with you? Nothing else. Get me away from me, only you, um, 
let me have fun, but, uh, but, but let it all be about you. Um, so that was, that was from 2001. And then this is a, uh, I just want to get a few more. There was a, some of these might be inappropriate. So I tried to screen them beforehand. Um, this is from when I was a little bit older. Um, um, this is, this is when I was like struggling with a relationship. Um, and I put God, I'm, uh, I'm tired of focusing on her. I'm tired of forcing myself to lose this battle. This is from September 1st, 2005. I'm done trying to uh, fight this on my own. She's a wonderful sister in Christ, but I'm tired of thinking about her. I'm tired of uh, wishing I was in a different circumstance. Maybe I haven't truly given up my feelings to you. I thought I had, um, but I hadn't, so here they are. Would you take them away from me? Take me away from every thought. Um, I need your help. And, uh, and if I wake up tomorrow and it's not taken away, then I'll know that, uh, and then this is from scripture, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I want to show you one more. Um, this is from, uh, this is from when I was, uh, this is 2003. I had a, um, I had surgery, uh, in 2003 and, um, some of you know this, I had a collapsed lung. It was crazy. It's a long story, but this is the day before my surgery. And I just want to read this from you. Um, God, protect me tomorrow as I go in for surgery. I need you only. Help me to be close to you. God, I want to be closer uh, than I am. So while I'm sick and in the hospital, uh, help me grow closer to you. And if it's your will for me, you know, because every, I don't know if you feel this way, every student you know, and I was a student at the time. Every student feels like when you go into surgery, there's like a negative 3% chance you'll live and that you're going to die, right? Everyone's scared of surgery. So that's what I thought. And uh, so this is what I said. Um, I said, and if it's your will for me to die, then I wait to be with you because this life is pointless without you. God, you are real <laughs> and emptiness consumes the places where you are not. So fill me and make me whole. You are the only one I need. And see, it wasn't one moment that defined my relationship with God. This didn't happen in a vacuum. This happened after years of this. And for a lot of you, man, you, you are, I know you want to be close to God. And I know you want to have a closer relationship with God. And yet, for whatever reason, we believe that, man, if my circumstance was better, or if I was just in a better family, or if just my family was doing it, or if other people were doing it, guys, listen, my family was not doing this. <laughs> this was just me and God, and I didn't even know what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to be closer to God, so I committed daily to talking with him and spending time with him. And that's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, look, I know you think you're born into it. I know you think people just luck into it, but it's a daily thing. It's a daily discipline. See, daily training leads to godly triumph. And so for those of you, for those of you that truly do want to be closer to God, that you want to have a closer relationship with your heavenly father, this is it. And so this is my question for you. Will you commit Will you commit to daily training? Uh, I need to tell you, there were days where I didn't want to do this. <laughs> Just like there's days when you don't want to wake up and go to the weight room. 
There's days where you're not going to want to do that. But I still did it. And there were like times that I was really busy and school was really crazy. And I, I still spent time with God. And then there were moments where like, you know, people were angry and my friends were upset, but I still spent time with God. And then there were moments where I like was really feeling it and I love doing it. And so I spent time with God and then other moments where I wasn't really feeling it and I didn't really want to. And I still spent time with God. And as I look back now at my history with God, it wasn't one moment and it wasn't just the moments that I felt like it. It was daily. It was a commitment. And so for you, if, if, if you want to do this, and I want you to do this because I want you to be closer to God, and when the pressure's on, I want you to be able to make the right decision. And so to do this, this is, this is what I think it could look like for you. Um, this is what daily training could look like. Uh, it's three things. Uh, I would encourage you over the next, uh, the next couple days to um, read one chapter of Luke. By the way, they... Uh, uh, like scientists have said that to build a habit, it takes about 21 days. Um, well, there's 24 chapters in Luke. So I think we'll definitely build it by then. So, so my encouragement to you is read one chapter of Luke every day and, um, and do this for the next 24 days. That'll take you, actually, here's the cool thing. It'll take you right up until spring break, which means you get to like celebrate by having a week off of, uh, off of school when you finally do this. Okay. So try it, just try it 24 days in a row. That'll get you up to like April uh, 4th, I think, um, 24 days in a row of just one chapter of Luke. And if you're reading Luke and like you get done with the chapter and you want to read more, don't, don't instead be excited about tomorrow. Do it the next day. Okay, so even though you're like going through it and you're like, this is awesome, just wait because tomorrow's gonna be awesome and then get to tomorrow. And then when you're reading that, wait and then go to the next day. And then as you're reading each of these chapters, this is what I want you to do. And you can write this down. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your head. If you're not ADD like me, you can probably do this without having to you know, write things down. But um, this is what I want you to ask. I want you to ask God, not, not yourself, uh, I made the mistake of thinking, like, let me ask me, what do, you know, self, what do I think? Don't do that. Ask God. You're having a conversation with him. That's how you grow closer. So ask God, God, what do these verses say about me? Because oftentimes you'll be reading something. I know this has happened for me. And uh, it's, it's whenever I, like, point at someone in scripture where I'm like, I would never do, dang it, I'm doing that right now. Yep, that's true of me. God, that's true of me, and I didn't even see it. Thank you for pointing that out. So God, what do these verses say about me? And then the next one, ask God, so not yourself, ask God, God, what do these verses say about you? Because there's some of you that you think God is out to get you. Or maybe you think God is just like your earthly dad, and he's just demanding all the time, or he's just non-existent, or he's just not even in the room because he's too busy with work. And you think God is a certain way, but as you spend time with God, you find out he's not that way at all. You find out he's more loving. You find out he's more gracious, more caring than you ever thought. And so for the next 24 days, and, and, and don't, don't try and like set a time limit. Don't try and make it like it's got to be five minutes, got to be 10. Don't set a time limit, okay? Um, if you want a good rule of thumb, just, try, just five minutes. There's five minutes. But I promise you, I promise you, as you spend time with God, my prayer for you is that God would draw close to you. And that you would begin to have a relationship with him that is built day after day, page after page. See, my, when I'm going through something tough and the pressure is on, a lot of times it's a knee-jerk reaction 
to godliness because of what God has built here. Because daily training truly does lead to godly triumph. So let me pray for you. God, I am so, I'm so grateful for the way that you revealed this to me um, when I was younger. I, I, man, I, I don't know what I would do without Jeff McCammon um, walking next to me and, and showing me, man, this is what it looks like to spend time with God. I pray that in the same way that you kind of stirred something in my heart, you would stir something in the hearts of these students that they'd walk away and they'd say, man, I thought it was a moment. <laughs> I thought it was like a, you know, like an experience or a near-death thing or something that happens. But God, I pray that you would show them it's, it's not that, it's daily. It's every day spending time with you. And maybe it's not as flashy as the lights in this room. But man, when we have a relationship with you, <laughs> you help us come through in the clutch. And when all the pressure's on, and when life feels overwhelming, we have a God who is near us. So I do ask and I pray uh, that you would... Um, you would force these students to do this because I want them so badly to be close to you. I want them to, um, to experience you like I've experienced you. I want that for them. So would you please convince them? I don't care what it takes. I don't care if it takes another person or you know, whatever, God. Would you, um, would you use anything in your power to convince these students that time with you is worth it? And I pray that you would meet them where they are at. So when they, when they sit down and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. God, please, would you be gracious to them? And would you spend time with them like you've spent time with me? Would you do that? And I pray these students' lives would never be the same. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.